0: Hello, I'm Rabbi Eric Carlson, and thank you for tuning in today to this week's Kadima podcast, where I wish to share a few moments about full-time ministry. I know many uh, Messianic rabbis and pastors have secular jobs as well as maintaining their congregations, but I want to encourage you today, even give a little goad shove or pressure to walk full-time into ministry and 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7, it sets the guidelines and the metrics of a congregation leader. It says, a congregation leader must be above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, orderly, hospitable, and able to teach. He must not drink excessively or get into fights. Rather, he must be kind and gentle. He must not be a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, having children who obey him with all proper respect. For if a man can't manage his own household, how will he be able to care for God's messianic community? He must not be a new believer because he might become puffed up with pride and thus fall under the same judgment as did the adversary. Furthermore, he must be well regarded by outsiders so that he won't fall into disgrace and into the adversary's traps. So this sets the guidelines for what's required for full-time ministry, and it's not too difficult, although it is a definite set of boundaries that we must be righteous and pure in all areas of our lives. I want to share with you that the congregation is 20 years old. This is the year of 2020. We started in the spring of 2000, but for the first several years, I was still active duty in the Navy, so I had a secular job while doing the congregation, and I want to share with you it's almost impossible because God actually requires all the focus and all the attention that he deserves, and it was hard to do that while holding down another job. I've been full-time since retiring in September 2003 from active duty in the U.S. Navy. And in that time frame, I have to tell you that this was a big leap for Ribitson and I. Until that time, we had been a very small congregation. It was a small congregation because we weren't devoting the time and the effort that it really required to grow and see fruit in a congregation. But yet we were averaging 35 to 45 people a week, and the offerings were somewhere between 50 to $150 a week. Now, that certainly is not enough to pay my mortgage and a salary and take care of everything we need to do uh, with our family. I still had uh, three children at home, and uh, you know I have all the other bills just like you all do. Uh, but when I retired, and at the same time frame, this is very interesting, because I was leaving from a position that had a lot of corporate knowledge, and uh, so the Navy decided they were going to hire civilians. I was running a schoolhouse at the submarine training facility in Norfolk, Virginia, And uh, the Navy decided that they want to hire some of this corporate knowledge and not lose all this information a lot of these sailors had. So in a very unique position, uh, for my tenure in the Navy, I was handed three books the size of a a small dictionary and uh, was instructed to write a contract to hire six civilian instructors. So I did this. It was a very stressful time and it stretched my abilities because I'd never done anything like this before. But it was a blessing to be able to do what was best for the Navy and be free from hands, if you will, in the rice bowl of trying to guide it to this side or that side. I had no friends in the defense industry, so we actually chose the company that was right for the Navy to get this done. At the same time as we're striving to build the congregation, once this contract was leased, they came back to me three months before I retired and offered me a six-figure job with travel expense, a car, if you will. This was our dream job. I went home and told Rapids and she looked at me, she's like, are we really supposed to do this or should we be doing this? And so I'm sharing this, uh, not as a boast, but it was interesting how the enemy swerved in and tried to detract us from what God had ordained that I do. And how did he do this? Through money. And so if God is God and you're serving him, and trust him, he will provide for every need. If he can't, then you're serving the wrong God. I retired in September. We had a ceremony. It was a Friday morning. Uh, it was a great ceremony. Uh, I shared a lot about the kingdom. I actually shared Yeshua at, at a room full of 400 sailors at my retirement. We had a small reception at the Chiefs Club that afternoon. I came home, took my uniform off for the last time, put a suit on, and preached the word. That evening, that very day, listen to me, that very day. The offering was over a hundred times more than it had ever been before. And immediately I started drawing a stipend, a salary, and walked into full-time ministry and has never uh, looked back. I've never thought twice about this. And so there's an incumbency here that if you're going to serve God, serve him all the way and commit all your ways unto him and he will act. And that's a truth we know in our known life. And, uh, and it's something, this also works through tithing, but that's for another time and uh, another Kadima talk. But if you're having financial issues, if you're not tithing, that's your number one suspect right there. So I've been a full-time ministry doing this since September 2003, and I've got some observations and a few outlines that I wanna share with you today about doing that and the requirements to lead in such a position as this. And it's not about uh, as much routine schedules or a specific outline of what I should or should not do during the day, because a significant portion of my time is reactive to various situations, walks-ins, crises, hospital visits, emergencies, deaths, uh, you know, all, all these things contribute to being a Messianic rabbi or even a pastor, a clergy serving the Lord. And so a significant portion, I would say as high as 50% of my schedule, is reactive to outside forces I have no control over. So what it is, is about establishing personal traits in the foundation to be an upright man or woman of God. And these are a few of the points that I wanna humbly share today. Number one, probably one of the most critical is time management. Having the discernment of what I must do compared to tasks that can be put on the back burner is critical. God, spouse, family, then work, then congregation. I've unfortunately witnessed many, many congregational leaders who have sacrificed their families upon the altar of ministry losing both the ministry and their families. And if you go back through the threads of time, you can Google this, you'll see big name TV evangelists, ministers, uh, mega church pastors falling one after the other. We've just recently had several put on uh, indefinite sabbatical because of moral and ethical failures in their ministries. So time management is critical to not lose your family, to not lose things on the altar of ministry sacrifice that God doesn't require us to do. Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 16 says, therefore, pay careful attention to how you conduct your life. Live wisely, not unwisely. So we have to have wisdom in what we do during the time, how we sanction our time throughout the week. Time is holy. God requires us to tithe time. One-seventh of our time is devoted to him on Shabbat. Think about this. And so this is also one of my pet peeves, that we make cultural jokes, that we have Jewish time. And so what does that mean? That means we show up, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes late but that's dishonoring God. So culturally, we, we, we don't have Hispanic time. We don't have a black time. We don't have Jewish time. Time is holy. So if God says, I'm gonna meet you at this date, at this certain time, I can tell you from my bottom of my heart, I will be there 10 minutes early and not a minute late because I don't wanna dishonor God. We have to conduct our lives wisely, not unwisely. Verse 16 says, use your time well, for these are evil days. Now, that was written almost 2,000 years ago, but that couldn't be more prevalent than today because we're living in evil days, so we must use our time well, make every minute count for the king. Don't squander time. Don't squander time Googling useless things on the internet or phone games, or we gotta be about the king's business and engage our time wisely for him because we are in evil days. John 9, verse four says, as long as it is day, we must keep doing the work of the one who sent me. The night is coming when no one can work. And this is an allusion to darkness, to a dark period of time. We're in the light, so we got to keep working and keep at it. It's too easy to become distracted in ministry. I've had a myriad of situations where someone asks a question, I reply, then I get a slurry of statements back that are forwarded to be from their pastor or for their denomination. That's someone who's lazy and unwilling to search the scripture for truth themselves they are not like the good people of Berea. Those people searched the scriptures themselves and found out what Paul was speaking was truth. I've had the same from Jewish anti-missionaries. Over the years, I've learned to recognize their tactics and their questions and not get tangled into their quagmire that has no end. It's all a distraction. The enemy wants, listen, if he can't get you in an ethical fall or a moral fall, he'll get you busy. And so I've learned not to get hamstrung and get tangled around these axles of Endless arguments and apologetics. I just cut it off. Listen, they can search for themselves, think for themselves, and come to the truth. Second thing is learn to delegate. Don't perform actions or tasks that someone else can do. You'll get burned out. Exodus 18, verses 17 through 21. Moshe's father in law said to him, What you're doing isn't good. Now I'm going to do the setup here. Moses was working about 18 hours a day. He was judged. They were adjudicating cases. They had questions about the Lord. But we're talking somewhere between four and six million people. He's one man. So his father-in-law said, uh, what you're doing isn't good. You will certainly wear yourself out, or you can put this in modern context, you'll get burned out, not only yourself, but these people here with you as well. It's too much for you. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it alone. So listen now to what I have to say, verse 19, and I will give you some advice, and God will be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases to God. You should also teach them the laws and the teachings and show them how to live their lives and the work that they should do. But you should choose from among all the people, competent men who are God-fearing, honest, and incorruptible to be their leaders in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So Moses did this, and this was the first 70 he installed these leaders, who the lower cases were taken to them, and what they couldn't do, then it goes up the chain until things that were unanswerable finally got to Moses. He cut his work back by a thousand percent. Yes, people will let you down. But if you look for solid, good quality congregation, and if you train them and raise them up in the ways they should go, if you teach them leadership, and that's what these things are about. If you get good, solid foundations, if you empower them and teach them, like this here it said in, in Exodus, teach them the laws and the teachings of Adonai and show them how to live their lives and the work that they should do. This will bring forth fruit, and then you'll have solid leaders underneath you. Here's a mantra that I've taken throughout my whole military career and now. You should be training up your replacement. The ultimate compliment of leadership is not that they can't do it without you. That's a leadership failure. The ultimate compliment is if something happens to you the next day, whatever you're doing, whatever job, whatever ministry, it goes on seamlessly as if nothing happened. Every person in a position of leadership should be training their relief. That's the ultimate goal of leadership. Number three, no matter what life brings, serve the Lord. In all situations, keep your eyes upon him. We live in a dynamic world. that's ever-changing. We have civil unrest. We have social unrest. We're fighting Marxists and Antifa, and uh, we've, we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic. We also got elections coming. It's a chaotic time, but no matter what, no matter the situation, keep your eyes upon the Lord. Psalms 37, verses 3 through 5 says, trust in Adonai and do good settle in the land and feed on faithfulness. Then you will delight yourself in Adonai and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit your way to Adonai, trust in him, he will act. So that, And we've talked about this in previous uh, leadership metrics is that you commit your ways to him, he will act. So it requires a commitment and that commitment is to keep your eyes focused upon him. Number four, Always strive to build and improve your character. I talk about character a lot. In many of our past Kadima sessions, I'm talking about character, and I will continue to do that until my life and mission on this earth is done. People identify and know you through your character. Your character precedes you. People who have never seen you will know you from your character and how you've acted in public. Proverbs 20, verse 11, The character of even a child is known by how he acts, by whether his deeds are pure and right. Once again, you don't have a choice regarding your hair color, your eye, or skin color, but good character is something you strive to build, obtain, and achieve. Always be a person of good character. It's the essence of yourself. Who you are is revealed by the activity of your character. Your character will be tested continuously throughout your life. It's an ongoing process. Testing strengthens and improves your character. In one of these cases recently of a well-known evangelist has been put on a definite sabbatical. I had a person share with me recently that, that uh, it was a plant inside the ministry, which is why uh, this well-known evangelist fell. But I'm telling you, it wasn't a plant. It was a character flaw in this person's character that when the temptation came, and you're tempted in the areas of your temptation. <laughs> Listen, the devil doesn't come at you in an area that you're not tempted so I could give a hill of beans about drugs. The enemy doesn't tempt me with drugs. That's not my area. Many of you who've known me, my area of temptation has been food in my life, and I believe I've conquered that. It's just something I have to strive for every day, but the enemy tempts you in your area of weakness, not your area of strength. So if there's a character flaw there and you've got an issue and you're conducting your life through pornography or through illicit relationships, That's where the enemy will bring a temptation. But if you're a person of character, you will stand tall and true in the midst of temptation because the Lord always gives you a way out. The Reverend Billy Graham, I once heard, traveled with two associates that were accountability partners, two men, everywhere he went in the world. And before he would go into a hotel room when he traveled, one of those men would go in before him. And there were numerous times that a woman was found in that room, either A, attempting to tempt the Reverend Billy Graham or B, smear him through gossip or slander because he was in a room with a woman. When you keep yourself accountable and when you put godly men and women around you, that won't happen. Testing will come, but testing strengthens and improves your character. As you grow, develop, and mature, more heavenly responsibility will be given, which in turn results in even more testing. Romans 5 verse 4 says endurance produces character, character produces hope. Next, number five. Be a person of integrity. Again, to remind you, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the requirements and uh, the outline for being in full-time ministry. To do so, you've got to be a person of integrity. Psalms 101, verse six, I look to the faithful of the land so that they can be my companions, those who live lives of integrity and can be servants of mine. Integrity is one who adheres to morality and is incorruptible. Integrity and character are interwoven. They can't be separated. Integrity is what you do when you're alone and think no one is watching, spending time with your wife and family, keeping regular office hours, being available for your congregants, being righteous in all things, being the person that God requires you to be. In my opening scripture, the outline characteristics of a congregation leader that has to be lived out in every area of your life. Number six, this is a biggie. We're going to spend some time on this. Be a person of passion. Passion will change you. If you follow your passion instead of others' perceptions, you'll become a person of influence and be a world transformer. In the end, your passion from the Bema will have more influence and impact than your personality, your eloquence, or knowledge. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever work you do, put yourself into it as those who are serving not merely other people but the Lord. What does this mean? Well, this means when you're mowing the lawn, you do the best possible job you can do as if you were mowing God's lawn. If you're doing the laundry, you do it the best possible manner. We do everything with a spirit of excellence and we're doing it not as a mere serving, but as if we're serving the Lord. Verse 24 says, remember that as your reward, you will receive the inheritance from the Lord. You are slaving for the Lord, for the Messiah. So they should see the good works of the kingdom through you and the excellence of God through you in everything you do, not just ministry. For centuries, corporations, experts, entrepreneurs, professors, even governments have spent, universities have spent untold amounts of time, effort, and money attempting to figure how people become successful. There's books written on this, how to succeed, the success of this guy, or Lee Iacoc, or or great titans in our uh, economy, of our system. It's human nature to look appearances, dress, titles, skill sets, intelligent education, and training Uh, to solve this success riddle. In reality, it's not those things. It's passion, more than anything else, that drives success. There are a few dynamics about passion, and I want to walk these out here for a few minutes. Passion is the first step to achievement. In Psalms 20, verse 4, it says, "...may he grant you your heart's desire and bring your plans to success." Passion is a heart desire that burns in the person, making them dogmatic." I had a road to Damascus encounter a number of years ago, and it fueled a passion and a desire within me. It's like Jeremiah said, it's a fire in my bones that I can't contain, and it drives everything that I do. Passion, passion, passion burns in a person, making them dogmatic. Wesley said, Set a person on fire, and people will come from miles to watch them burn. Be passionate. Psalms 37, verses three through six, trust in the Lord and do good, settle in the land and feed on faithfulness. Then you will delight yourself in Adonai and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit your way to Adonai, trust in him and he will act. He will make your vindication shine forth like light, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. So the key to this is, and when you're intimate with God and you have an intimate relationship, it's no longer your own passions in your heart but it's the will and the passion of Adonai that resides within you. Some people take this to mean that I've, I've got a passion to win the lottery, so I'm going to be passionate about this. It's not about the things of this world. It's passionate, a heart that beats in unison with the Lord's heart. His passion becomes your passion, and that passion becomes a burning fire within you that cannot be contained. Your passion determines your destiny. The stronger your fire, the greater the passion, the greater the passion, the greater the success. Number two, passion fuels willpower. There's no substitute for passion. It is the fuel for will. If you want something bad enough, you will find a way to achieve it and succeed because you have the passion to get it done. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, A person whose desire rests on you, you preserve in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So there, there's no substitute for passion. It's the fuel for the will. You'll accept no compromise when you're passionate and seeking the desire of God's heart. Number three, passion will transform you. If you follow your passion instead of others' perceptions, you can't help but succeed. In the end, your passion will have more influence than your personality or even skills or orator sets. Passion is the winning key. First Thessalonians 6, verses 11 through 14. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who are working hard among you, those who are guiding you in the Lord and confronting you in order to help you change. Treat them with the highest regard and love because of the work they are doing. Live at peace among yourselves. But we urge you, brothers, to confront those who are lazy, your aim being to help them to change, to encourage the timid, to assist the weak, and be patient with everyone. That passion will transform you and make you into the image of Adonai and Yeshua, which will bring even more passion to share the kingdom and be about our Father's business. Number four, passion makes the impossible possible. We as humanity, human beings, we are created in Adonai's image. When passion fills our soul, impossibilities vanish. With God, all things are possible. A person with great passion and few skills will always outperform a person with great skills and no passion. Mark 9, verse 23, Yeshua said to them, What do you mean if you can? Everything is possible to someone who has trust